another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me as always is Nick. Me. And we are in part two of the Winter War. Now, uh, before we get started on part two, uh, we have to give a little shout out to our podcast co-co-host slash friend of the show, Rich, for completely redesigning our studio. Redesigning. Um, I mean, studio is, is, I know it's a strong term, but uh, (laughs) it uh, sounds good. She bought a whole bunch of desks and uh, bookshelves and slapped them all together, as well as cleaned up our disgusting pigsty of a mess that we leave. I don't remember the last time we picked up beer bottles or cans in here, but I'm going to say a month. Yeah. <laughs> um, she did all this for a Christmas present for the podcast, and uh, bless her fucking heart, because she worked her ass off. Yeah. But now we can't find anything. Yeah, it's it's that uh, unfortunate things you've been living in your own shit pile for so long that once somebody like I didn't mess it up, I simply organized like I knew where everything was. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly how I feel right now. Um, so when we left you last week, the Soviet Union was rattling their giant hammer and sickle shaped saber against their tiny neighbor Finland, uh, who simply had the audacity to not want to be part of Russia again. Those fucking bastards! <laughs> how dare you want freedom? <laughs> Uh, now, there's no question that the Soviet Union wanted to go to war. That's not what, uh, it's not like some conspiracy theory here of like what their what their intentions were. Uh, what's more important than their desire to go to war is just how easy they thought the whole thing was going to be, which kind of explains why they were so eager to do it. Like you're never, nobody's ever going to be super eager to do something that is really fucking hard. Yeah. It's like the same reason why like chores that are around the house simply pile up because like that sounds like it's going to be difficult. Yep. Or maybe I'm just a lazy piece of shit. <laughs> I don't know. I usually save them for the last like last minute. I mean the same could be said for homework. Oh, so true. Yeah. I never did it. Yeah. And uh so just the just the, the underline how easy the Soviet Union thought this whole thing was going to be. We go back to our boy Nikita Khrushchev who was working in uh Soviet government at the time. And uh, all right, so before we get into it, Nikita Khrushchev isn't obviously the biggest fan of Joseph Stalin. He was the architect of de-Stalinization after Joseph Stalin died. So obviously the man doesn't have a lot of nice things to say about Joseph Stalin. But in fairness, most people shouldn't. Yeah, they should. Most people shouldn't. Um, he is a huge critic of Joseph Stalin. But he was one of the only people who has written openly about his time in, in, in Stalin's government critically. So we use him a lot when it comes to this. Also, he was, he was there for all these meetings. Uh, so, you know, I use, what I, can, I use what I have, man. Pretty good source. Yeah. Uh, so he said, quote, all we were going to have to do is raise our voices a bit and the Finns would obey. And if that didn't work, we will simply fire a shot and they'll put their hands up and surrender. Bing, bang, boom. Done. Yeah. Easy. Easy shit. Now, this kind of attitude is why Stalin did not put a whole lot of thought into the idea of a war against Finland. Um, Soviet leadership let uh, were let into Stalin's apartment um, to kind of, I guess, workshop an idea. I guess is a, it's hard to think of like 
something going on in Stalin's apartment. <laughs> Stalin, like, hey, everybody, come over, come yeah, over. Everybody's like, like oh, a, he fuck. lives on lawn chairs yeah. and shit. Like he, you know, he doesn't have real furniture. Yeah, um, it, it's hard to think of like actual government policy being formed in some dude's apartment. Everybody's but, waiting for the first guy to leave, so then everybody can start leaving. Yeah, uh, I gotta go see a guy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, oh, come on. Well, if he's taking, everybody's gonna slowly trickle out. And like Stalin's still wearing like his field marshal jacket, but he's wearing boxers and like flip flops <laughs> yeah. or uh, just socks. I think we just, uh, but socks with sandals, because <laughs> yeah. you know Stalin fucking wears socks with sandals. Uh, but they were all had a meeting in Stalin's apartment to talk about military action against Finland, and Stalin was kind of in like a jokey, jovial mood, or at least as jovial as fucking Joseph Stalin could be. Because even think, I know there's pictures of him smiling, but thinking of him actually laughing is kind of weird. Like he's not a man who who enjoyed things. No, like, he fucked with a scowl on his face when he came. He just grimaced. Mm. Um. So he wasn't really listening to the conversation to be like, so like all the other people are like, well, if we did this or we did that, you know, coming up with plan A through C or whatever, he's not really listening to any of it. He just knows that he wants to go to war and fuck Finland up. So like at the end of it, he kind of like disregards everything he's everything everybody else was saying. And he said, let's just get started today. Like what? that's that's an actual <laughs> quote. Like uh, after hours of, of talking about this, Khrushchev said Stalin just kind of just shrugged his shoulders, like, "Well, let's just do, do it today." I feel like he just put up a map and like put up a giant secret and said, "Boom, right on Finland." Just that's threw, it. Just threw a fucking uh, a dart. It was like, "Huh, guess it's Finland." <laughs> <laughs> uh, after they pull the dart out of Poland, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the officials in the room were kind of taken aback at the carefree attitude Stalin had towards the idea of going to war. Well, they're in his apartment. Yeah, they're 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 in his fucking bachelor pad. Um, but they they weren't going to say anything about it because it's Joseph Stalin. I wonder how the tour was, and he's giving everybody the tour. I'm pretty. I have a feeling you could see the like whole MTV thing Crips. from the front door. Oh, <laughs> uh, you think it was like, hey guys, come on in. This um, is where the magic happens. And, and you know, normally when we bring up people with really bad ideas, they either fall into like two camps, and that is they disregarded all opinions to the contrary or they were simply like brutal dictators and nobody had the balls to say anything. Stalin kind of falls into both because people almost universally, even in writing, will be like, you know, we kind of tried to tell him this was a bad idea, but he just, it's Joseph Stalin. He's not going to listen to anybody. Uh, But this was, um, like Khrushchev says, quote, this was Stalin's idea. Naturally, I did not oppose him. Khrushchev is also like uh, noted as being quoted as saying like when Joseph Stalin says dance, a wise man dances, because <laughs> that's something he actually fucking did. Wow. Um, he used to have like booze ass parties at, at, at in, like the Kremlin or like in his apartment or wherever, and he would be drinking water, and he would force everybody else to get drunk and dance for him. Oh, yeah. Like okay. he he just wanted them to be an ass. I think he also told people not to grow a better mustache or anything like that. Oh, God forbid you have a better mustache than Joseph oh, yeah. Stalin. You're, you're not only will you be purged, but so will your mustache. Or own more than 12 tracksuits. Because <laughs> as far that's, I don't as, think Stalin was a gothnik. Though, the uh, idea of a gothnik Stalin is admittedly fucking hilarious. Yeah, he only had 12. If you had more than he 12, ju- you're fucked. He just wanted to squat on the entire world. Yeah. Um, he, he wanted to redistribute squats so everybody could have a fair share amount of squats. But honestly, dancing to Gopnik music is looks entirely like too much fun. Yeah, Stalin it's just like about <laughs> that. Stalin about that shit. So the first shots of the war, or the first seven shots to be exact, were fired on November twenty sixth. Yep, 
November, November 26, 1939. Now, we know this because they were targeted at three Finnish observation posts who took notes about the whole thing and radioed it forward. And the soldiers manning them must have been pretty confused because these shots landed a full 800 meters short of them inside of Soviet territory. Inside, at, after that, nothing else happened. The firing stopped <laughs> and it just kind of ended. It was like, that was weird. <laughs> yeah, that'll show them. You think we should uh, tell the commander about that? Uh, yeah, probably. I don't know. <laughs> they shelled themselves, so. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So after that, uh, Soviet Foreign Minister Vyacheslav Molotov sent an angry telegram to Helsinki, Finland. The telegram said that four Soviet soldiers had been killed after finished guns had what? shelled their position. Now, this is there's a problem with this for obvious reasons. One, Finland didn't shell them. And two, is literally impossible for the Finns to have shelled them. Um, see, now Mannerheim had very few pieces of artillery at his disposal. And in order to preserve them in the case of any Soviet attack, he had actually uh, withdrew them away from the border to preserve them from the initial Soviet blitzkrieg that that he assumed would come over the border at any time. Am I saying that there's some kind of conspiracy here that the Soviets shelled themselves and probably really did kill four of their (laughs) own people to start a war against Finland? Yes. The reason why I say that is because Nikita Khrushchev fully admitted that's exactly what they did. (laughs) He said the shots were set up by Marshal of Artillery and NKVD agent Grigory Kulik. So there is a paper trail to prove this. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I I also, I would love to think that they did it on accident. Like... (laughs) Oh, oh, fuck. Like the whole, like they were just drunk and fired off some rounds in accident. Now, Kulik is an interesting guy. And by interesting guy, I mean piece of shit sycophant, um, like most people in the Soviet army at the time. He was raised to his position after the purges simply because he was a close personal friend of Joseph Stalin. And he was a yes man. He was so blindly lo- loyal to Stalin that when his own wife was kidnapped and executed on Stalin's order, he didn't even worry about it. He was like, yeah, she probably sucked anyway. Good, she sucked. She was a, a, a bad communist. <laughs> Please don't kill my kids. Yeah, he it didn't even like slow him down. <laughs> uh, he was also an NKVD agent before he was a military officer. So he was a uh, murderer, mm. for lack of a better term. He murdered his way up the ladder. Oh, that's good. Now, obviously, Helsinki immediately denied that they were involved in these shellings whatsoever. Uh, they even sent them copies of Mannerheim's order to withdraw those artillery pieces from the border as proof. Now, that mattered because you're, you're not going to go through the hassle of launching a quite literally a false flag attack and then not follow it up with a war. Eh. I mean, ask Vietnam. <laughs> uh, a few hours later, Helsinki would be on fire by Soviet bombs and Soviet soldiers would be crossing over the Finnish border. But before we go into how this invasion played out, let's talk about the Soviet army. We talked about the purge last episode, but we're going to go a little bit more into that. Now, uh, as we've already talked about, it had been gutted. Uh, profes- professional military minds were, are largely dead or dying in Siberia. Then you have people like Grigory Kulik, who kiss ass up the ladder and end up in charge of literally every piece of artillery in the Soviet military. Um, but some Soviet generals did point out that this whole war against Finland might not be as easy as everybody thought it might be. And that was probably the last time they had a chance to raise any criticisms. <laughs> the Soviet army had just taken over half of Poland with only a thousand casualties, and they smashed the Japanese army at Kolkin Gol in Mongolia only a few months before. The problem was is Poland was split in half between Soviet and Nazi forces, and, and the whole thing kind of happened so quickly that they didn't end up fighting any kind of organized resistance. It was all confusion until it was dark. Um, and the Japanese 
the the victory of the uh, over the Japanese at Colkin Gall was was generally a crushing victory over un, uh, they, they they were fighting a Japanese army that was used to just crushing victories over untrained Chinese conscripts. Right. So like when they fought another military that was even as out of date as the Soviets, they got their fucking asses kicked. Which is the same reason why that like when World War II started, J- uh, Japan's army was pretty much just a series of failure all the way until they got nuked. Yeah. Um, the Soviet generals brought this problem up. Uh, there's a general named Shapo Shashkinov uh, that submitted a report to the Finnish, or sorry, to the Soviet forces should conduct a methodical buildup. Uh, obviously, they they weren't worried about any kind of Finnish counterattack or invasion of the Soviet Union. It simply wasn't going to happen. Um, but what his his plan was um, like, well, let's treat this like an actual war. Let's build, let's bring in all these elite forces um, from all over the Soviet Union. Makes sense. Yeah, it, it takes a long time because it's a fucking war that involves literally hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. Um, Stalin dismissed this immediately. This wasn't because Older he, dash. he didn't like the man. He actually did like Shapshkinov, um, which was one of the only reasons why the man was still alive. And uh, Stalin actually kept a copy of his book, The Brain of the Army, on his desk. Like, Stalin thought highly of this guy. Not highly enough, apparently. Like, the, the, his, uh, Shapshkinov's book, the, the Brain of the Army, is quite literally taught, uh, was taught as uh, Soviet doctrine for decades. That's uh, cool. So he he knew his shit. I mean, say what you will about Soviet doctrine. It, it won World War II for the large part. So his book did better than yours. Yeah, my book has yet to win any wars. Okay, Much That's like true. any American general currently <laughs> serving in the United States Army. Um now, it's weird that Stalin, like, obviously respected this guy, but, like, eh, not so much. Mm. Like, I only respect you enough to let you hang around in your dress uniform. I don't actually want you to open your fucking mouth. That's why you don't come to the apartment. <laughs> yeah. This is only for bros. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he kept his book on his desk, uh, but Stalin thought that the plan would take too long. I feel like he never read the book. Probably not. He just had it there. I don't feel like Stalin was a guy who read an awful lot, because when you read, you come upon ideas that are different from your own. <laughs> yeah. And that's I feel not like something he just that, like did a little quick little flip like done. I feel like the last thing Stalin read was something by Lenin before he died and he took over the Soviet mm. Union. So like, yeah, he's not reading. He's not a very he's not a theory guy. Unless I wrote the book myself. Yeah, the Stalin's book is just pictures of Stalin staring fiercely at you and you have to just nod along. <laughs> oh, this is a good part. Yeah. Uh but now there is one guy that Stalin did listen to and that is pretty much deathly loyal Stalinist, uh, the guy named Zhedov, who was uh, the political boss in Leningrad. Um, he was not a military officer. Important to point out. Though he would be in a lot of these guys running around. He would end up in charge of the military. Uh-huh. A lot of those guys running <laughs> yeah. around too. Yeah. Uh, so Zhedov uh, convinced Stalin that the military district around Leningrad, uh, which had about 150,000 troops and change and tanks, artillery, stuff like that, that, that enough could be enough, that would be uh, enough to win this war. Like, you just send in the Leningrad soldiers. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, another problem uh, with the planning process was the inclusion of political officers, which are popularly known as commissars. You might know them from Warhammer 40K. <laughs> yes. Um, now, we already did talk about the, the commissars and barrier troops and stuff like that in a previous episode of Pavlov's House. Um, we were not going to go into that too much more. Um, just know that commissars had a lot of fucking power. Um so dissatisfaction with war planning would be thought as disloyalty. 
And uh, so if you were like, uh, I don't really like these plans, even if like you're going to do normal soldier complaining. Yeah. Like these, these orders are kind of dumb. You're going to do them anyway, but you're going to bitch about them the whole time. Yeah, exactly. That was not allowed. You'd go to a camp. Oh. Yeah. Not a fun camp. No, no, no. You'd, you would probably see like a fucking drunk NKVD officer who'd probably shoot you behind the head with a pistol. Mm. It's like uh, he, there's a common disconnection uh, in uh, the popular narrative when it comes to political officers and commissaries. It was like, oh, the commissar will just take you out back and shoot you. That's very rarely the commissars. They would arrest you and take you to the NKVD, which would then execute you. <laughs> yeah. It's different. Same, but different. Yeah, same, same. Uh, so, for instance, when Kulik uh, submitted his plans for the, uh, for the war and was procuring ammunition for his artillery. Remember, Kulik is also a gutless yes-man, which is kind of interesting here. Uh, it, he, he had to go through the chief of logistics, a guy named Voronov. Uh, when Kulik said that he only needed enough artillery shells for 12 days, Voronov laughed at his plans and said, because yeah, Voronov had been familiar with the Finnish countryside. Uh, and it, it's, in, it, it's important to be um, kind of familiar with the Finnish uh, landscape in, for this whole war to make sense in that... It's, a little snowy. It should be just as formidable to invade as Russia itself. Like everybody says, "Oh, Mother Winter!" Like Finland will fucking kill you. <laughs> <laughs> like it'll you'll drown in a swamp I've or seen freeze some to pictures. death. Yeah. Uh, but Voronov laughed, being very familiar with Finland, and said that uh, if if he if he was going to invade Finland, he would need ammunition for at least two to three months. Kulik, a deputy commissar with no military training and only sent to his rank due to party loyalties said that Voronov should base all ammunition and supplies on the 12 day timetable that he'd supplied and nothing else. And thus that is how it was done. Wow. Like it, it wasn't, it's, it's hard because like sometimes when, like when, when I'm reading the book frozen hell, it kind of makes it sometimes seem like that the military officers come up with a plan and then the commissars are like, that's a good idea. We should do that. And they like kind of meet in the middle, but that's not how it worked. A military officer would have a plan, and the commissar would go, "No, let's do this instead," and then they went with the commissar's plan. Oh, great idea! It's not like mine was planned. It's like the most. joke about marriage is like my wife wanted a puppy, and I didn't want a puppy, so we compromised and got a puppy. Yeah, it's that both you're you're gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Soviets also had an obsession, as a lot of people did at the time, the Nazi tactic of blitzkrieg. They had stormed across Europe at that point. Um, now we. We know that a lot of Blitzkrieg successes were due to luck and beating up on unprepared enemies, but there was some legitimate, uh, you know, revolutionary tactics there, the, the combined arms stuff. Um, and uh, as Tom pointed out, uh, seemingly forever ago in our German tank episode, uh, the idea of combined arms warfare was absolutely nothing new, and it had existed since the first time a cave person chucked a rock at somebody else while their friend was also trying to stab them with a stick. Um, the Germans simply made it work better. And, I mean, sometimes it's all innovation is. Right. However, the German tactics only worked in certain areas, as we saw. The fast-moving armored columns swept through parts of Europe with modern rail and road systems. It also benefited from knowing where the enemy's hubs of communication, resupply, and deployment were. It gave them something to target. Right. Uh, but the main thing the German army benefited, uh, benefited from was good communication and the ability to give frontline commanders initiative to do what they thought was necessary on the fly. You know, small Makes unit sense. leadership. Yeah. Things that are all familiar to anybody, uh, any uh, familiar at all with how really any modern day military works. Now, instead of making jokes here, I'm going to quote directly from Frozen Hell, because he does a pretty good job at just roasting the Soviet military. Quote, the Blitzkrieg, in short, had been perfected for a sleek, hard-muscled, well-trained and motivated army such as the German general staff had fashioned during the decades between the wars. 
It was unsuited for a ponderous, top-heavy army of badly trained soldiers with timid officers, overseen by inexperienced party ideologues, and sent forth to conquer a country whose terrain consists of practically nothing but natural barriers to military operations. Nice. Yep. So it's like, have you ever met anybody who's like really wants to do DIY stuff? Like they want to upgrade yes. their house, yes. but they have no idea how to do construction. Yes. That's the Soviets in Blitzkrieg. That was the dude. Like we that, bought all the tools though. That was the dude <laughs> that lived at the house that I'm currently at. <laughs> Holy fuck. There's a shit ton of stuff fucked up. Like the sink about to fall out of the wall. Impressive. Yeah. Yeah, but, he's, but he bought all the tools and watched it on YouTube. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, now, instead of Blitzkrieg, they instead unleashed something that the Red Army of the Era is pretty well known for. Unguided and badly led human wave attacks. With some tanks. That's all you need. Yeah. And hearkening back to our Soviet Afghan series, the quality of troops thrown into those human waves attacks varied wildly. Some units had been well trained, but they were the minority. Because remember, the purges did a it's pretty short work of most of the good soldiers. Yeah, didn't number on them. Most were raw draftees who had never even fired their rifles before. And most of them didn't even know they're invading Finland. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's not surprising. I mean, uh, it, it's worth noting, you know, the Soviet Union is a vast fucking country. And it has so many millions of people and of, va- of so many different socioeconomic backgrounds, even though they like to think they created some kind of classless society where everybody was equal. They definitely did not. Um, there was parts of it where people were uh, terribly educated to the point that like a lot of um, like there was a, a certain submachine gun that was really, really popular within the Finnish army that the Finns tried to sell to the Soviet Union before the war, way before the war. And one of the reasons that the Soviets turned it down is they thought that their normal draft, you'd be too dumb to be able to use it. Oh, so like they're having a the the bar is is is, is low for what is considered okay to fire rifle, which is common amongst armies of the time. Right. But the Soviets were a little bit worse off, not to mention they were coming off of, you know, uh, civil war and famine and like, uh, uncertain leadership Steam changes. Soviet. It wasn't a good time to be a draftee in the Soviet army. Oh. I don't know if that was ever a good time no. to be a draftee in the Soviet army. It never sounds good. No. We're a draftee in any army. Yeah. That's true. So the invading Soviet forces had also had no intelligence. Because remember, the invasion was just kind of has, a half-assed idea that Stalin shot from the hip one day out of, out of an apartment chair. <laughs> and like there was no further thought really put into it. Now, the, uh, the area that they wanted to invade was packed full of swamps and dense forests. It was kind of a place you wanted maps of, so you could carefully route your plan of advance. Uh, the Ford units did not have any of that. Uh, very few maps were given out, and the ones that did were badly out of date and were of an entirely different part of Finland. What? It's like uh, like that joke. That's awesome. It's like, uh, this is a tourism map, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you know what they did bring? Trucks of propaganda to include entire formations of brass bands, which is not something I normally think of when that's I think awesome. of the Soviet Union. I feel like that that's like some pomp and monarchy type shit. Like, we brought the band with us. Play our war music. It's just some guy slapping a potato. <laughs> yeah. Remember, the Soviets thought this whole war thing was a lark, and it was just going to be a side note to the main game, and that would be standing up a Soviet puppet state in Helsinki and making it part of the Soviet Union. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the future in detail, because it is dumb. Okay. Because they did do that. Where An attempt was made. It was not a good attempt. A lot of attempts we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Now, before we go too much further into the story of the Soviet Union's advance, we have to talk about the army Finland was trotting out to defend its borders. This is what I want to hear. And I use the term army very loosely. The Finnish army like was group. Eh, more like a large collection of dudes with rifles. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, the Finnish army was lean and understrength due to budget concerns. They were authorized 15 divisions on paper, but only had 10. And those 10 divisions were mostly demobilized and people just went home. <laughs> yep. A full mobilization had never actually been attempted before. So when it came, it was confused and problematic. Nobody really had any idea where to go and officers didn't know what unit they were in. Uh, so when officers, so when the few officers who did show up ready for duty, it was not uncommon for them to be like, well, you're an officer, you went to the academy, even if you're a lieutenant, you're a battalion commander now. Oh. Make, it, make it work. <laughs> and it's simply because they were the first ones to show up. And there was like no unit cohesion. Um, and this did later change, and a lot of people end up fighting alongside people from their block or whatever. But like in the very opening salvos of the war, people who had trained with other units and other jobs and like on other equipment were just like, oh, you're with him now. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it, it was all slapdash. This is awesome. <laughs> There's a very good reason why Mannerheim did not want to fight the Soviet military. He knew how strong they would be. Like even through sheer force of numbers, it wasn't good. Uh, but for all of Mannerheim's problems, manpower was the lesser of two evils. Looming over it instead was a crippling shortage of supplies, hardware, weapons, planes, tanks, and everything you need to kill people when they invade your country. Right. The usual. Yeah. First of all, I said tanks. Finland didn't have any of those. Not a single one. They did have a couple for training, but they had been broken down. <laughs> they were just deadline. <laughs> yeah. They were just in a, in a fucking parking lot somewhere. Well, the tanks... Uh, the the concept of tanks was relatively new to the whole war thing, having been trotted out during World War One, and a lot of world powers simply thought they were a lark. They were something to break trench warfare, and they weren't going to have a lot of use. But people still had a lot of them, just in case. And people like the Germans and the French were developing, you know, uh, new tactics uh, for combined arms warfare using fast-moving armor formations. Uh, and the Red Army did have a fuckload of tanks. Yeah, Finns had none, not a single one. Hey, you don't need them. I mean, the Red Army tanks were incredibly old, but it doesn't matter if you're not fighting any other tanks. Though we would find out that would end up not working so well for them. Furthermore, the Finns and their army had almost no experience training or fighting tanks. Most people had never even fucking seen one in person. So, like, there's... I imagine there's a lot of people back at that time that have not seen a tank. Well, I mean, for uh, thousands of people who are supposed to be World War I veterans... You would expect to have a vague familiarization, but those guys are getting older. I've heard stories. And uh, uh, some of the officers who did fight in the German Imperial Army during World War One, even though that was decades ago, and those guys were not going to be in the front line anymore. And not to mention, back then, tactics normally fell upon, let's just blow them the fuck up with cannons. Which brings us to another problem. Finland had virtually no anti-tank weapons. Or really any artillery of any kind. Really? The few guns that they did have did it all the way back to the Russo-Japanese War of 1904 and literally came out of a museum somewhere. That's awesome. Uh, they did have some World War I artillery, the, like the French 75s uh, from World War I, but they only had a few of them. I imagine how they're going to get the ammo for these things since they don't have uh, it, it turns pieces. It, a whole lot of uh, people accidentally blowing themselves up in factories trying to get them out of work. Oh, fuck. Yeah, they're, the, the munitions side of things, we don't really talk about a whole lot, but a lot of it's uh, in the opening stages, because eventually ammunition does come pouring in from outside sources, mostly Nazi Germany. Um, uh, but they do steal a lot. Um, that's one thing the Soviets are really good at, is leaving shit behind. Oh, yeah. And they also manufacture their own shit. Uh, sometimes it does not work so well. <laughs> All this is accompanied by a severe lack of ammunition for everything, from artillery to individual rifles. 
Um, now, this is because Finland was still largely trying to recover their industry output from the Civil War, as well as suffering the effects from the Great Depression. Um, and when I say Great Depression, I don't mean like the like the, the American Great Depression. Finland's is a little bit different, but the whole world suffered from it. So, you know, same, same. There's just happening a little different because they're also trying to rebuild their, the weather. They're also trying to rebuild their entire country at the time, which made things a little worse. Because while America, while it was very, very poor and people were starving during the Great Depression, they hadn't just ended a civil war. That's uh, true. I mean, that that was a couple. Of, that was like a generation ago for us. So you know, I always find it kind of hard to explain to our largely American audience how unprepared most places are for an outbreak of war that simply don't have millions of guns and piles of ammunition laying around. But they they just didn't. Uh, most people only had like. 12 rounds to the rifle when it was issued to him. Jesus. Yeah, it, it wasn't good. By the time the war started, the entire country only had enough small arms ammunition for 60 days of fighting and artillery shells for half of that. Wow. That's only for certain calibers. In comparison, the Soviets could afford to fire more shells of a single caliber on a single day than were contained in the entirety of the Finnish reserves. That's insane. Not good. No, it's not. Not, not good. So it should not surprise anybody when I... So when I was talking about the lead up of hostilities where Mannerheim was telling literally anybody who would listen and also a lot of people who wouldn't that for the love of God, just give Soviets what they want. Like, cause like, you know what? They want Karelia. Fine. Fuck it. Give it to them. <laughs> like, we'll worry about that later. Sucks. <laughs> it's, it's fucking swamps, man. Yeah. It, it is like, there's more to it than that, but you know, like, uh, Mannerheim was, he didn't want to fight, but it is for a good reason. He knew they were going to lose. Now, that obviously Mannerheim would kind of end up being wrong, but not entirely. But Mannerheim knew his army. At one point during a uh, meeting, he literally stood up and pounded the desk and screamed at the prime minister that, quote, the army is in no shape to fight and cause other people to boo him. I mean, he doesn't seem wrong. <laughs> his no. army looks like shit. And it really seems like the, the Finnish uh, um, cabinet was mostly full of sycophantic yes-men who are nationalists. So, like, the concept of giving away anything to the Soviets. I, now, I'm not dumb. Either was Mannerheim. He was practical. He knew that if the Soviets got what they wanted, they would simply demand more or come in and take the rest of Finland. That was their end goal. There was no if, and, or buts about that. But he thought it would give Finland enough time to build defenses and maybe stockpile some more than fucking a dozen rifle rounds per person. Yeah. Like, maybe, you know, pick the war you're going to fight, not this one that's just going to show up on your front door. Yeah. Instead, what happened is he resigned from his post. Um, now, this is partially upon request from the prime minister, declaring that Mannerheim was too timid to be a proper Finn. Ah. Yeah. Uh, noted literal Finnish future war hero. Really? Also, too timid. Mannerheim was a household name at this point already, besides the fact from his post, but from the Civil War. Everybody fucking knew who he was. So, like, saying he was too timid to be a yeah. fan is like, damn! <laughs> uh, nah, he, uh, Mannerheim could have fought it, but he didn't want to work for a government that disregarded literally everything he said. So he's like, fine, fuck it, I'll resign. But that did, that did not mean before his resignation that Mannerheim did not prepare for a coming war. Hence the birth of the Mannerheim Line, a massive defensive line that stretched across the Karelian Isthmus and eventually bore his name. Uh, the problem was this land was created throughout the turmoil of post-Civil War Finland, where money was tight and corners were cut. Now, this is, it, it, it's hard to explain. When I tell you a named line, you're probably thinking of the Hindenburg line or the Maginot line, where they have these. I'm thinking this line's probably awesome. It's Bad not. Ass. It, it's It's only cool when you think of it. It's also a cool name. It is. Mannerheim's are unarguably a fucking sweet name. But it's a defensive line, which 
I've never really seen before or read before about, and it ends up working better than either one of the lines I just named. Uh, so despite everybody knowing the threat of the newly formed Soviet Union, the first bunkers and lines have been built up of unreinforced concrete, making them pretty useless to anything that isn't just small arms fire. Right. Like a grenade would fuck those up. This was eventually improved upon, but as bunkers became better built, the costs went up. So at the beginning of the war, Finland could only afford about three or four of them in a year uh, in an area literally meant to defend That's not good. hundreds of miles <laughs> of territory. But the Finns constantly found ways around these small details. The line was not like the Maginot line. It wasn't made up of concrete monoliths and huge bunkers. The bunkers were small. And when they ran out of money uh, uh, for concrete and, re- and like the rebar to reinforce them, they simply build them out of natural terrain, such as logs and boulders, and cut trenches behind them to make them even bigger. That's awesome. Yeah, they literally built a fortress out of nature. It's a do-it-yourself bunker. Yeah, and unlike the Maginot line and the Hindenburg line, the Mannerheim line worked. And that's because it had an interesting function. They were realistic. Other it had def- that rustic, uh, outdoorsy look. That everybody wants in their kitchen. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, those other gigantic defensive works that I named, or like the Atlantic Wall in Western Europe or whatever, um, were all created to repel or stop an invasion. That was not the Mannerheim Line's goal. Instead, it was meant to delay an, uh, a coming attack and change and bend around, which became known as flexible defense. So it could give way. It was designed to do that. Nice. So, like, who gives a shit about building this giant concrete bunker? We just have to retake it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. That makes lines incredibly hard to snuff out as there's no easily identifiable strong point or command post. Think of it as like a weird, large-scale, irregular warfare on a national fucking level. Lincoln log bunkers. That's what I'm thinking <laughs> Oh, right put now. them back together, boys. <laughs> yeah. hup, ho, hup. <laughs> now, like, it's, think of it as like if, you know, 10 Soviet divisions crashed into the Mannerheim line, which they did, the, the flanks of that part of the line would simply fold around it, <laughs> surround them, snuff them out, and then reform on the line. Now I imagine the trench is actually going, whoa. <laughs> There's some hinges? Yeah. Hold on to something. We're swinging around. <laughs> yeah. Now, it's important to point out that Mannerheim, or nor anybody in the Finnish government, thought Finland standing toe-to-toe or fighting it out against the Red Army and winning was an option that existed. Nobody was that dumb, though some were dumber than others. The entire strategy was to delay the Red Juggernaut and their vastness of the frontier long enough for the rest of the, uh, of the world to get off their ass and come help them. It's the same gambit that Ethiopia played against the, the Italians. Didn't work out too well for Ethiopia, but you can probably, probably figure out why. Racism. It's racism. <laughs> now, the freshness of, uh, of Western anti-communism was still in their head. After all, it, it, most people don't know this, but an international coalition of Western powers actually invaded Russia to aid the whites during the Russian Civil War in a place called Archangel. This included American soldiers. What? Yeah, they didn't stick around for too long because they realized, like, wow, the whites are getting their shit fucked. <laughs> <laughs> this is after World we War gotta One. Go. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was reasonable to think that they'd come to the aid of a mostly free democracy under the threat of a Stalinist empire. If that didn't work, they would fuck up the Red Army for so long and so hard that Stalin would eventually come to the ta- table and negotiate again, uh, and they would strike a deal that would save the rest of Finland. They knew they'd have to give some up, but they were going to make them fucking pay for it. If Stalin meant to destroy Finland and subjugate it entirely, which quickly became obvious that was his goal, they would fight until they had a final bullet and, the, and one last man. Or in Mannerheim's word, the most honorable annihilation. That's a nice way to say it. There was actually a German officer, as a German Nazi officer at the time, because... Um, they they talked a lot, and they obviously in the continuation war they became allies. Um, 
that if uh, they said if Finland stood against the Soviet Empire, they'd be nothing but a, a an honorable note in history. Like, oh, dark. Yeah, <laughs> but the most honorable annihilation is pretty baller. It is. It sounds really good. It reminds me of uh, like the general during Bastogne. Oh yeah, you're yeah, yeah. surrounded. Nuts. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would have just glasses sliding. Most deniable animation. My dick! Mannerheim throws on sunglasses and fucking Naruto runs out the door. Yeah. I just ruined his entire legacy That's by saying awesome. that. No historical <laughs> character could ever be taken seriously if you think about him, Naruto, running across the battlefield. Now back to the invasion, because I just ruined enough stuff. As the first bombs fell into Helsinki, Gustav Mannerheim, a man several members of the government thought was afraid of the Russians and untrustworthy, was immediately made the commander-in-chief of the Finnish Armed Forces, as his resignation had not been formally accepted quite yet. His paperwork was still sitting on the Prime Minister's desk. Must have been a four-day weekend, you know? As the bombs fell in the capital of of the small nation... Soviet Foreign Minister Vyacheslav Molotov announced that they were not bombing Helsinki. No, no, no. That's not something the Soviet Union does. Instead, they're dropping breadbaskets to the starving population of the capital city. Because remember, I'd, I told you before, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, 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 they churned out propaganda sewing uh, Finns were barefoot and starving. Were the breadbaskets blowing up? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. They were cluster bombs. So they weren't being fed? Uh, nope. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, the Soviet bombing campaign was also badly planned, as they only used nine bombers, and they managed to blow up their own embassy. What? <laughs> Which, <laughs> I, I know, like, targeting technology wasn't fucking great. No, it wasn't. But, like, don't bomb <laughs> this one building. <laughs> Out of the whole city, they're like, that one. Now, the Finns, being Finns, jokingly nicknamed these Soviet cluster bombs, which did kill around 100 people during this. They called them Molotov's breadbaskets. A sarcastic nickname that needs to be remembered for the next joke to land. Oh, okay. Hundreds of thousands of Soviet soldiers soon surged over the border into Finland, starting in the beginning of the largest embarrassments in Soviet military history, which is saying something. Saying a lot. The Soviet military plan called for a swift assault across the Karelian Isthmus. There, uh, there's several reasons for that. The Soviet forces really brought nothing uh, for them to 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 combat her- the horrible subarctic winters that punished the area. Um, seems like a trend. Yeah, it's kind of funny seeing it happen to the Soviets because everybody thinks of like you know uh, General Winter and like it killed Napoleon, it killed Hitler. Yeah, well, so the the Soviets got it too. We're a different breed. It, it turns out General Winter just kind of shoots in every direction. <laughs> yeah, he's a fucking wild card. We're one with Winter. Now, as it was November, it was the beginning of this uh, uh, of what could be considered the cold season in that area, but it wasn't supposed to be that cold. It was an unseasonable early winter, and it shouldn't have been cold enough to start freezing men where they stood, but cold enough to freeze miles of swamps that cover the area. The Soviets knew that, and they were kind of leaning on that pretty hard. When you say that's not that cold, get fucked. I mean, it's it, cold as shit. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you're, you're talking about like a subarctic country that, uh, that people literally freeze the death standing. That. Yeah. Yeah. I'm from California. Now, as I said, the Soviets brought no winter uniforms, and, and then what has to be the biggest case of historical irony I've ever heard, they also brought no, uh, nobody knowledgeable about how fighting, how to fight in the snow. Because we Don't all need it. We all think about them to be like these goddamn snow warriors that can trudge through anything. Where wearing like white camouflage, or nobody else thought about that. Well, guess what? They were wearing fucking green. Yeah, yeah. You don't need it. Yeah. Uh, they also brought um, uh, no like trained ski soldiers, which sounds kind of hilarious because like when I think of skiing, I think of like downhill skiing. I was thinking of the douchebags on the movies are mainly skiers. And yeah. the good guys are always the snowboarders. 
Uh, well, it's they why I snowboard. Well, just think of the Finns as, as using snowboards throughout the war. Nice. Totally radical, bro. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. Now, um, oh, life jacket. So, like, uh, there's places where snowbanks will pile up taller than you are. So you can't walk across them. No. The only way to make it across them is skiing. <laughs> that reminds me of the time where we went, uh, what, what is it? Sledding? I don't know what we were doing. And we were out yes, in this the parking lot. Yeah. We were in the parking lot of this giant snowbank, and we were, me and you and our other buddy were going down it. Yes. Ah, uh, that was and a good time. You, and you did, when you were standing on the top of it, you sank up to your motherfucking waist. Yeah, now, I did. Now, now imagine doing that wearing combat kit, and you have to march like 20 fucking miles. We're in green. That's what the Soviets <laughs> were trying to do. Well, people were actively trying to kill them. Uh, meanwhile, the, the Finns, for a lack of most things, they did know how to ski, because otherwise they would have died out there. Yeah, I imagine they do that everywhere they go. Yeah, they uh, they turn the Karelian Isthmus into the graveyard of tens of thousands of Soviet soldiers pretty, pretty rapidly because of this. Um, mm. The Soviets knew they had to act fast, and that's where I defer back to the description of the Blitzkrieg and the weaknesses of the Red Army. Soviet columns of tens of thousands of soldiers were slow to get moving and quickly got lost using their old shitty maps, or their no maps at all. Officers and commissars attempted to fight one another for control of their own military formations. And this is before Finnish resistance showed up. They were already grinding to a halt, fighting themselves. Awesome. And then the Finns showed up. <laughs> now, it should be pointed out the first Finns to fight the Soviets were not soldiers. They were a collection of cops and Border Patrol guys. The only cool no, cops the, and Border the Patrol the guys cool that ever exist. sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Though oddly, still racist. <laughs> <laughs> Put him in a camp! <laughs> now, um... Uh, they're also pretty scattered because obviously you can't imagine these guys are in like a, a barracks of hundreds of people. Uh, so it would be like small groups of like a couple dozen people or sometimes even a single guy uh, would <laughs> would pop up and harass an entire Soviet division um, and then keep them pinned down with scattered rifle fire because the Finns had a, uh, or the, the Soviets had a tendency when they get shot, they just stop. So the, the Finns would sometimes just fire around near them and ski off and leave them trapped out in the, on the road. Oh, way yeah. I go. <laughs> I mean, the, the, there were sniper attacks where, like, one uh, Finnish sniper, and we're not even talking about Simeo Haihai yet. Yeah. That uh, where, bad. like, he would pin down a Soviet company and, like, keep them pinned down for so long by himself that he'd kill all their officers and, and commissars and just walk away. And then the Soviet soldiers have no idea what to do, so they just start walking back the other way. <laughs> And then the Finns would let them because, like, no, they're not fighting us anymore. <laughs> yeah, they're just walking by. Yeah. Um, in the Lake Lagoda route of the advance, the Soviets quickly became stranded. You see, if you look at a map, and I don't have a map handy, but just you know, Google it or something. I'm uh, pretty sure that's what Finland looks like. It's our whiteboard. Yeah. Um, the roads didn't exist. Um, it, the route looks it looks uh, more it looks a lot more clear than the Karelian advance, um, but. The, the the isthmus route cut through swamps and waterways, um, and but those were frozen, and so they expected to drive over them. The Lagoda region was seemingly custom built to fuck the Soviets. Never do I want to hear, "Hey, we got to drive over it. It's frozen. You'll be fine." Oh yeah, I never want to hear that. It quickly becomes Ever. even worse than you could imagine. Um, so the Lagoda region was mostly barren. Um, the roads that did exist were single-track wagon roads that were unpaved and were normally used by horse and buggies. Um, there would only be about one road for miles and no shelter in any direction, as the area was almost completely devoid of human life. Fin- Finnish people didn't even live there. 
That place sucks. Uh, the, the Red Army swarmed these areas with literally thousands of tanks and tens of thousands of men, quickly turning the few ro- roads into like fucking traffic jams to throw yeah. people. Uh, crossing through the forest was nearly impossible without trained skiers, as snow, tri- snow drifts would normally pile up to six or seven feet. Oh. Once confined to the roads, they became easy targets for Finnish riflemen, who could launch hit-and-run attacks on stranded soldiers who had nowhere else to go. Now, uh, and the, the Finns refused to budge once they had them pinned down. And unlike the badly led and already demoralized Red Army, the average Finn's morale was pretty fucking high for someone fighting these kind of odds. He was defending his homeland. He knew their ancestors had squared off against the Russians so many times that he lost count in the same countryside and won. At most, uh, Finnish army units were recruited and based regionally, making these men literally fighting in their own backyards. They're also having a blast because they're skiing. And I mean, like, uh, they're hunting. They're, yeah, they're not, <laughs> basically. They're, yeah, they're not even getting shot at, really. Uh, the average Finn was a crack shot with his decades-old mosin Nagant rifle. Um, and hunting and community-based marksman competition were normal. Um, for instance, uh, Simeo Haiha had won, like, a fucking two dozen goddamn rifle marksmanship competitions before he ever fired a shot in anger. Wow. Yeah, like, he was one of the best marksmen in the country before he ever had to shoot a person. And then he became one of the best snipers. It, it was something that the Finns really had uh, well done. Like, they have a small army. They still have a small army. I mean, most people have a small army compared to us. But um, they they train them to shoot competitively rather than, like, just shoot for your marksmanship or whatever. Yeah. And it's, like, mo- largely community-based. So, like, every uh, area that draws soldiers from all has a shooting range. So, like, it, it, competitive shooting is pretty uh, deep in this system. And it was then, too. Also, other Finnish small arms were superior to their Soviet counterparts, owing to the fact they only had a fraction of of soldiers to equip rather than the fucking unknown hordes of the yeah. Red Army. They used the Lati's uh, light machine gun, uh, which was it, it. It was the first real functional assault rifle, um, and I'm using that to say that like the Browning automatic uh, uh, rifle is also kind of considered an assault rifle. We're not gun guys. I don't really give a shit. It was the Browning automatic weapon before the Browning automatic weapon existed. And it was uh, better, for the most part. Sounds super familiar. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's in Battlefield 1. I don't remember. Um, hey. As well, as well as the Sumi submachine gun. Uh, a gun so terrifyingly adept at churning Soviets to paste that the Red Army oh, what? <laughs> eventually copied it, which gave birth to the PPS, PPSH burp gun. The Papa Shah? Yeah. Uh, that, you can thank the Finnish for that. Also, that was the one that the Lati was the one they were going to sell to the Soviets. But wow. It wasn't the most um, reliable weapon. Like, you had to clean it, like, a lot. Um, <laughs> and it had a lot of small parts. So the Soviets like, oh, yeah, we're too dumb ass. to figure this out. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, that's not that's still that's a long and short of it. It's not the greatest description of why they turned down. But mostly it came down as, like, our conscripts won't be able to figure this out. They're too stupid. They're kind simple. Of. I mean, that's not the first time armies have turned stuff down like oh, that. Oh, no, I totally believe it. Um, there, there was armies that turned down the Garand because of that. Um, stuff like that. So It's not even complicated. Oh, I'd say that out of being around it for a while and yeah, you learning only, about it. When you first used it, it was uh, fucking generations old already. Fucking badass. Now, whereas the Red Army thought the Finns were starving and oppressed people waiting for liberation, as that is what they've been told. Do you have bread baskets? <laughs> we have plenty of bread baskets now. The Finns knew their enemy was better armed and outnumbered them by millions. So they like they had the right mindset going into it. While the Red, while the Red Army stomped into Finland thinking this is going to be a pushover, the Finns were like, I'm probably going to lose. You know, it's 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 a mentality thing. Yeah, a common joke 
uh, by Finnish soldiers during the war were, quote, there are so many. Our country is so small. Where will we find room to bury them all? That's fucking awesome. <laughs> that is metal as fuck, dude. And that joke would become a cold reality for thousands of Soviet troops. It sounds like a little Finnish girl probably said that. And the general's like, it's pretty fucking badass, little girl. Promote that woman to general. Yeah. And that is where we'll pick up next week. Daddy, where will we bury them all? Where will we find room for all these dead people? We'll eat them, daughter. We'll eat them. So uh, that is part two of our Winter War series. I do not know how long it's going to be. I'm going to try to keep it back. It's fucking badass already. This will be the first war that we're going to cover that the series is almost as long as the war itself. So that's fun. I like this a lot. So if you like our show and you think it's worth a dollar, you can give it to us on Patreon. Our show will always be free, but your contributions help us greatly. Um, You can get free bonus episodes. You get stickers. You get books. You get episodes early, and you get our communal Discord that we share at the hell of a way to die. If you don't want to do that, that is perfectly fine. Uh, Just like, share, and review our our shit and help us crawl up the iTunes rankings because that sort of thing always helps. We also have a Teespring store full of professionally designed and unprofessionally designed <laughs> shirts um and you can buy They're one of those sweet uh so thank you for tuning in and we will talk to you next week later